spend some time uh, in prayer together, shall we? I'm going to read to you from Titus 2 as we do that. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Father, we, this morning we want to thank you indeed for the fact that your grace has appeared your grace has been made known to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the salvation that he has made available for all who will put their faith and trust in him as Lord and Saviour. Lord, this morning we want to especially give you thanks for Anne and for her wonderful testimony, testifying to your incredible grace that has been at work in her life bringing her to understand her need for Jesus Christ as her saviour and for enabling her to put her faith and trust in him. Lord, we thank you this morning for all in this place who have come to recognise Jesus in this way. Lord, we thank you that through faith and trust in him we have been brought into your new family. We have been made heirs of your kingdom, joined heirs with Christ. We thank you that as your children, you call us to live upright and holy lives. And we pray that you would continue through the work of your Holy Spirit within us to train us to renounce that ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, an age where it is difficult to stand for the name of Jesus, where we are faced with all kinds of challenges today and all kinds of opposition. But Lord, first and foremost, it is you that people reject. And Lord, we pray for us as a congregation here, that we will continue to shine brightly for you as we seek to share the wonderful news of the gospel with our local community and further afield. Father, we thank you for the very various ministries that uh, take place here. Uh, Lord, that um, again, all of these ministries are designed in order to be able to train up disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we especially pray that you, your hand of blessing would be upon each of these ministries and all the people that are involved in them. Father, that you would be pleased to bless these efforts for you and for your kingdom, not for our sake and for our name, but for your name. May your name be lifted up and exalted in all that we do. We pray especially for those we partner with uh, further afield, particularly our, uh, our missionaries, and we think of uh, our mission to, mission to Queensland, and this morning we pray for Joe and Manita, 
and uh, the leadership team at uh, New Heart Balmoral. And we uh, thank you for um, this church plant, and particularly we ask, uh, as they have asked for guidance, wisdom, and blessing, as they as uh, uh, Paul, uh, sorry, as Joe and Manita start their ministry in that place. We pray, Lord, that it would be your good pleasure to bless that work and through that work to bring many to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are working in Thailand. Lord, we thank you that we can partner with so many people working in that country. Particularly this morning, we want to pray for Luke and Belle Harland, who lived up there in Ban Luang. And we pray for them as they continue to learn the Thai culture and language. And we pray for Luke as he teaches English in schools, we pray that you would enable both Luke and Bell to uh, build those relationships with, uh, with folk there, that you would, uh, they would see your hand at work in their lives, particularly through your gracious provision for them and their family. And we ask, Lord, that, uh, that through their sacrifice, that others will be one to a saving faith in Jesus as well. Lord, this morning, we ask that you would help each of us uh, Lord, as we've already prayed, as we endeavour to live those self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this world, we pray that our focus will be on you and that we would be waiting patiently and expectantly for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's for his name we pray this. Amen. Well, we continue on in our series in Luke's Gospel this morning. And if you've got your Bibles there, you might like to turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 12. You're going to be continuing on in this chapter. Um, so if you come this morning thinking that, uh, having read the, uh, the roster, thinking that I'm going to be preaching from another passage, I'm sorry to disappoint you this morning, but this is the passage that God really laid on my heart this week. So uh, we're going with this one. A reading from Luke 12, verses 35 through to 48. You can follow along with me uh, on the screen or uh, in your own Bibles. The Lord Jesus has these words to say to us where he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the, son of, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more. This is God's word to us today. Father, be our teacher this morning. Holy Spirit, take the words of God and press it upon our hearts. Open our eyes to your truth, to your ways, to your wisdom, and most of all, to your glory. Amen. Well, for you sports-minded people out there, currently it is a sporting feast, isn't it? We have Origin, the World Cup Soccer, Cricket, I think there's even some other funny game, that rugby union game, test matches going on and things like that at the moment. And of course, coming up in a couple of weeks is the Tour de France, the, uh, the bike racing. I enjoy watching some of, uh, some of this bike racing, not necessarily for watching the bikes, although some of it can get pretty exciting at times, but more so for the scenery. Anyone like, a bit like me? You like watching the, uh, the scenery? Yeah, there's a few, uh, few of you out there. Particularly for when they get, in the, you know, they get up into the Alps, the French Alps there and the Pyrenees and that sort of place. The, the scenery is just absolutely magnificent, isn't it? You know, some of the, uh, the towns the cyclists ride through, they sit at the foot of these huge peaks. We just don't have, li- we don't have mountains like that here in this country, unfortunately. But these mountains they, in Europe, they seem to just dominate the landscape. They cast their, mess- their massive shadows over the towns and the valleys. I just want that image to kind of just stay in your mind there for a moment because in the same way that those mountains kind of dominate that kind of landscape, the return of Jesus Christ at his second coming dominates the landscape of the New Testament, the, 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 the second half of the Bible that we're reading today, that, that we're in today in Luke's Gospel. It's, so, it's just so frequently mentioned in the New Testament, something like around about over 300 times. I don't know if you're sort of really aware of that. Not only is it spoken of in the New Testament, but it was spoken of dozens of occasions in the Old Testament as well. You know, we may not be certain too much about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. We might be, you know, sort of really unsure of, of what's going to happen. But the one thing that we can be certain of, particularly as followers of Jesus, is that Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, the Bible tells us that he's going to come to judge the world. The first time he came, he came as God's provision in order to save the world from our sin. But when he comes again, the second time, he will come not as saviour, but he will come as judge. And this passage that we're in this morning, the central thrust of this passage is that Jesus, the master, is indeed coming again, and when he comes, he will hold to account everyone, particularly his servants, for the way in which they have lived their lives. You know, if we, 
If we love Jesus, if we say we love Jesus this morning, then I hope that your desire in your heart is that you will want to be living in such a way that when he, re- when he returns, as suddenly as it may be, then he would find us living in such a way that pleased him. The Bible speaks of the fact that when Jesus does return, he will bring his rewards with him. Isaiah verse 40, chapter 40 and verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And then right at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, Jesus himself says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense or my reward with me to repay one for what he to repay each one for what he has done. Remember, as a um, a, uh, a fairly young Christian. And uh, I'm actually hearing a message preached by uh, this one person, and uh, I can't even remember who it was now, but, but his illustration has really kind of just um, stuck with me. And he was sort of talking about the fact that if Jesus was, return, was to return at this very moment, what would his response be to how I am living as his child right now? I mean, if he was to look at my internet history, for for instance, what would he think of that? If he was to look at my bank records and how I spent my money, what would he think of that? If he was to see the people I was mixing with, what would he think of them? If he was to lay bare every aspect of my life, aspect of our lives, what would he think? Now, the reality is, is that Jesus already knows this stuff. (laughs) Because nothing is hidden from him. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows those thoughts of our minds, those motivations of our hearts, and those things that we try to keep buried deep down inside of us from everyone else, afraid of what people might think of us. Now, God makes it clear in his word how he wants us to live and what he expects of us as his children. And we know from his word also that his plan for us is good. His plans and purposes and desires for us are for our good. But isn't it so real that, that we can often forget about the fact that Jesus is coming again? We kind of lose sight of that a bit because, you know, it's been such a a long period of time since his first coming and and, and his second coming. We kind of just think, well, you know what? Yeah, he's going to come one day. Not sure when. And so we kind of lose sight of that. and, And instead what we do is we get caught up in the stuff of this world and we get enticed 
by the things of this world and, and we get enticed by the stuff that we think will bring us happiness and joy and contentment and we succumb to the temptations of our, of our own passions and desires, our own hearts and we end up on a path that we shouldn't be on. A path that is not particularly for our ultimate good. The thing is, when it's, we're on those kind of paths, it's not just necessarily not for our good, but it's also not good for the good of others. Because we often think that our lives, you know, they're, 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 we, we just have this, this individual kind of mindset that, that our choices, all that we've got to worry about is that our choices affect us. But the, the reality is, is that whatever we do and however we live our lives, it has an impact on so many people. It's not just about us. And God knows this. In this passage before us this morning, Jesus points out some of the things that he expects from his followers. From those he referred to, remember last week, as his little flock, the sheep of his pasture, his, his dear children. Because he knows that what we are focused on will ultimately direct the course of our lives. Remember at the end of the passage last week where it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what the, the things that we find of, of, of great value and importance and significance in this world today, our heart will naturally go after that. And so our lives will naturally follow that course. And Jesus is saying here to his disciples today that you know, one of the, the ways that we kind of keep ourselves on the right track is we need to remember that our saviour, Jesus, is coming back again. And we want to be living lives that are, that are pleasing to him, that if he was to come back at this instant, that he would find us living in a way which would please him. And so he says to his disciples in this particular passage, he says, the first thing you need to remember is that you need to be ready for my coming. You need to be watching and you need to be waiting for it. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Jesus tells his followers they need to be like these servants of a man who was away at a wedding. Now, Jewish weddings in those days could, could go on for days. And uh, they would, you know, the servant says a master went away to this particular wedding. The servants would never know when their master might return home. And when, but when he did come home, and oftentimes it might be late at night, they needed to be ready there and then to, to, to wait on him, to serve him. To do that which, which was their whole purpose you know, in life was to serve their master. In fact, the servants, oftentimes servants in these kind of households where their masters took such good care of them, it was their joy and pleasure to serve their master. It was something that they took great delight in. So in order to be ready for when he arrived home, they needed to, to stay dressed, ready for action. 
Now, in Jesus' day, the men, they kind of wore these long robes, a bit like, you know, Saudi uh, men today, you know, in that kind of culture. They wore these, these really long robes, and it was for the, particularly, you know, um, for, cl- for the climate. Those long robes kept them protected from the sun, but also because they flowed and were kind of loose, that kept them, uh, kept them cool as well. And when they had to uh, go about doing some work, what they just had to do was to, to pull those robes up and, and tuck them into their belts, freeing them up for, uh, you know, to be able to sort of move unhindered from those long flowing robes. It gave them great freedom to be able to serve in whatever way they, they needed to. They needed to be dressed ready for action to be ready to serve God at any time and in any way. That's what it means for us, to be dressed for action, to stay dressed. In other words, it's, a, it's talking about actually coming to a point where we actually are ready to serve, but then we, we stay in that constant state of readiness for Jesus and being ready to serve God at any time and in any way. That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? For us. Because there's so many demands on our time today. There are so many pressures of life and, and things that we, we think we, should, we, we need to be doing and our priorities can sometimes get all skewed and, and out of place. For the follower of Jesus, he's saying to us that we need to be ready at any time and in any way ready to serve him and do what he wants us to do with our lives. Is that something that is characteristic of you right now in your life? When the master calls, when he knocks on your door, the door of your heart, the door of your life, are you ready to drop everything and serve him and to do what he wants you to do? Are you dressed ready for action? Because being dressed ready for action, this imagery also speaks of, of removing anything that actually will hinder them from their work. For us, it means removing anything and everything from our lives that hinders us from being ready to serve Jesus and living for him. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews had to say in Hebrews 12, 1-2. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have already gone before us and have lived these faithful lives to Jesus, he says, in in the fact that we're surrounded by let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us get rid of everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Are we ready, in terms of being dressed for action, are we ready to throw off anything that is going to hinder us in running that race for Jesus and in serving him as our, as our master? Are we ready to put our own agendas aside? Are we ready to put our own desires and, and, and passions aside? Are we ready to, to, try, to, to cast off that sin that so easily entangles, the writer of Hebrews says, in order to follow hard after Jesus? That we might be ready to serve him no matter what. 
Now, there's a challenge again for us today, isn't it? Because there is so, as I said before, there is just so much that demands our time and our efforts and our energies and our resources today. Stuff which can take us away from being faithful to God and being faithful to following Jesus as our master. Instead, we, pl- we place ourselves as the master of our lives and we put Jesus some, you know, s- somewhere else down the priority list. Jesus says, throw off everything that hinders. Stay dressed for action as my disciples. What idols are there at the moment that have captivated your heart more than Jesus? Jesus also tells his followers that they should keep their lamps burning. They were to be continually lit. And here's another picture of the readiness Jesus is speaking about. Because in Jesus' day, people just couldn't go and turn on a light switch. They needed oil lamps, and they needed, so the lamps had to, had to be filled with oil all the time, and they needed to be lit. Because if the master came home and the servants didn't, didn't have their lamps lit, then they'd be unable to see in order to be able to serve their master the way they'd hoped to. Without the light, they could not see to do their job. Now, generally speaking, if all the lights are out in a place, two things are happening. Well, one or two things is happening. One, you're in a power blackout. Or two, everyone's turned the lights off and gone to bed. If all the lights were not lit, then the servants could effectively be sleeping on the job. And it comes out in verse 37 where Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Awake. Because you see, the danger for us as followers of Jesus today is that we can be spiritually asleep. We can be spiritually asleep. And that means that we're in a state of spiritual inaction, that we're not actively involved in gospel work, we're not actively involved in the spiritual disciplines of, such as prayer and Bible study and things like that. But being spiritually asleep also means an insensitivity, not only just an inaction, but also an insensitivity. Because when a person is asleep, they're unaware of what's going on around them. They lose sight of... And when we are spiritually insensitive, when we're spiritually asleep, we lose sight of God's purposes, God's plans, and God's work. When we're spiritually asleep, we become unconcerned for the lost. When we're spiritually asleep, we fail to see the spiritual needs of the people around about us. And when we're spiritually asleep, we become dull to hearing God's word and his voice. And also we become dull to the deceptions of the devil. And that's when he slips in under our guard. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
And often the ones that are found there in the jaws of the enemy are those who are spiritually asleep. We need to heed passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, where it says, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, clear-minded. We're expecting Jesus to return at any moment. Even when others least expect it, like the thief here in this passage. We're expecting Jesus to return at any moment, then we're going to be ready, aren't we? Yes. Yep. We are going to be ready. Jesus' coming may be his earthly return. And we pray that that will be the case, don't we? That will be his earthly return, but it also may be our death. Jesus may not come before we go home to glory. And so when we look at this passage, we're not just thinking about it in terms of Jesus' glorious second appearing, but also we've got to think about it in the context of that that appearing may be where all of a sudden we're actually transported from this world into the next to stand before our Saviour and Lord. And that moment can come at any time. None of us here are guaranteed another day on this planet. None of us. And although we may think that, you know, we've got all these plans for life and that, you know, we've got all these things we want to do and we want to achieve and, and, the, and that sort of stuff, we are not guaranteed our next breath. And there are countless people in our world today who are going about living their lives thinking that they have got so much time ahead of them and the next minute, they are gone. But if we're looking for Jesus and his return, expecting it at any time, expecting that we may draw our last breath at any time. Hopefully Jesus will find us doing what we should be doing. And he says for that person they will receive great blessing. Notice the blessing that Jesus speaks of here. He speaks of it in the, term of, uh, in the, in the framework of a beatitude. Remember the beatitudes from, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, you know, the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the, the poor in spirit and the meek and, and so forth. He says, blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Why are they blessed? Well, he says this. Truly I say to you that he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Now there's a complete turn up for the books, isn't it? A complete reversal those people who are waiting to, to serve their master, it says when the master comes, if they're, if they're waiting expectantly for him to come, when he comes back and he finds them living those faithful lives, watching and waiting for him, it will be him who will serve them. 
It says that he will have them recline at the table and eat a feast themselves. And I think there's a, a reference there to the, to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, where it speaks of all the children of God gathered at this wonderful feast. This great celebration in the kingdom of God there with Jesus Christ. And so attendance at that feast is equivalent to entry into the eternal kingdom of God. And that is a feast that each and every one of us will want to be at. I remember going to a uh, restaurant years ago. It was kind of like a buffet restaurant up in Townsville. They had, it was a seafood restaurant. Honestly, they had prawns up there as big as a dinner plate. And you could eat as much as you want for 20 bucks. I thought that feast was, was pretty incredible. But that's got nothing on what Jesus has got prepared for us as his children. We may serve Jesus, but ultimately Jesus shows us the greater service in serving us. Even in, he said himself in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And folks, that's the model for our service of Christ today. That, we, that our service needs to be modelled on that same self-sacrificial service of Jesus. And as we live lives like that, if we, we endeavour to live lives in that kind of framework, then we can be assured that our rewards will be greater than anything we could ever hope to imagine. And then speaking of rewards for faithful service, Jesus brings us to the second half of this passage where Peter asked the question, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? In other words, are you speaking just to the 12 or are you speaking to all your disciples? It's interesting that Jesus actually doesn't answer Peter's question directly here. But instead he gives another illustration of a faithful servant compared with an unfaithful one and the rewards that they can hope to expect when Jesus returns. Jesus is saying, I need you not only to be ready, that is watching and waiting, but I also need you to be working. The previous section, the servants who are blessed are the ones who are watching and waiting for the return of their master. They're the ones who are spiritually alert. They're the ones who are ready for action. But here, Jesus says that the servants who are blessed are the ones who are being faithful in the work that their master has given them. We see that in verses 42 and 43. He says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. This verse certainly has direct implications, I think, particularly if you have a leadership role in God's church. You have a responsibility to the ones whom God has entrusted into your care in order to be serving them and doing so faithfully as Jesus would serve them. And, and you know, I see passages like this and it reminds me again of, of my responsibility as, as a pastor and, and as the elders of, of the church here, as a leader of the church, it reminds us of our great responsibility and the fact that God will actually hold those in those leadership roles to greater account than anyone else. 
Sometimes that terrifies the life out of me. But in saying that, let me say this, that every one of us, as God's children, have a responsibility to, have, has a responsibility to other believers as well, to serve them and so build up the whole church to maturity in the faith in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has that responsibility before God. And he will hold us accountable for how we carry out that responsibility. You know, are we working towards the unity of his church? Are we actually seeking to encourage and build up our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are we seeking to you know, get alongside them and nurture them in their faith? And instead of standing there in judgment over them, actually standing there with them and saying, you know what, I struggle too. Maybe not in the same way, but certainly in other ways. So let's actually show grace to one another and forgiveness to one another. And let's walk together this journey towards Christ. Don't you think the world would sit up and take notice if they found the church being like that? The faithful servant can expect great blessing from Jesus when he comes. And he says he will be given even greater responsibility over all his possessions. And that speaks to me of the fact that, you know, when it comes to us entering into the eternal kingdom of God, if we've been faithful with the stuff that God has given us here in this life, he's going to give us even greater stuff and more meaningful stuff in the next, in his kingdom. That tells me that we're not going to be sitting around floating on, floating on clouds, plucking harps and things like that. We're going to be doing work. Meaningful, glorifying work. To God. In contrast to the faithful servant, Jesus speaks to the one who is unfaithful in verses 45 to 46. Where he says, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and will put him with the unfaithful. This particular servant doesn't believe that Jesus' return is imminent and so thinks that he can just enjoy living a selfish and sinful lifestyle without fear, thinking that he's got plenty of time to get his life in order when the time comes. There's an incredible picture here of the person that assumes the position of master of their own lives rather than remembering that Jesus is the master. Look at the kind of behaviour and attitude this person has. They begin to beat the male and female servants. In other words, they become, a heart, they become harsh and uncaring and unloving. They begin to eat and drink and get drunk. They begin to live lifestyles that are, that are self-indulgent. 
when our lives have taken off Jesus' master and they're put on ourselves, we, be, we become the masters of our lives. We become like this servant. We become ungracious and uncaring and unkind. We become harsh. We become self-indulgent. That's the natural trajectory of a life of an unfaithful servant, of someone who has no consideration whatsoever that Jesus is master and that he's going to come back one day and hold us to account. Like I said earlier, that central thrust of this passage is indeed that, that Jesus, the master, will hold everyone to account for the way they live their lives. And if we're expecting his return, and if we're living in a way that reflects this, being ready and watchful and waiting and faithful, then we'll have nothing to worry about. We can expect that Jesus will reward us. But if we're not living in that way, then Jesus says that we can expect he will bring swift judgment upon us. And that justice and judgment will be based on the extent of our knowledge of God and of his, of his ways. We see that in verses 46 to 48 of our passage where he says, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces. In other words, he will cut him off completely and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. In other words, it's not talking about a physical beating, but it's certainly speaking about some kind of unpleasant reality. And the one who did not know and did, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more god's judgment will be fair and if you're thinking that well if i just be the one who really just is ignorant of stuff thinking that you know if the more ignorant i am the less trouble i'll get in <laughs> That's the wrong mentality. Because it doesn't mean the more ignorant we are, the easier time we will have at the judgment. Because Jesus says that we, as his followers, should want to be living in a way that brings us greater rewards in heaven. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, sorry, if, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, that is Jesus Christ, survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I don't know about you, but I want to, I want to be able to enter into heaven knowing that I've lived a life faithful to Jesus Christ and a life that has actually built up treasures and rewards. I don't want to be getting into heaven thinking, you know what? I really wasted my life. Is that you? Jesus is stating a general principle here and he says the more we have from God, the greater our accountability will be before God. That's the principle Jesus is stating here. Let's compare these two pictures, the faithful and the unfaithful servant. Let's, picture, let's, let's compare them in our minds and in our hearts and let's know for sure, positively, which is the portrait of us, of our lives. 
Is your life a portrait of the faithful or the unfaithful one right now? As followers of Jesus, we need to be thinking often about the fact that he is coming soon and that we, he will have us as individuals stand before him and give account of our lives. And we need to view ourselves as these servants in these parables that Jesus has given. Servants who have been given a responsibility and privilege of being his servants entrusted with time of resources and abilities which we are to use wisely for his kingdom. Because Jesus is coming back. Does his coming dominate the landscape of your life today? Are you ready for his return? If he does not return in our lifetime, know that one day we will die. And that can come suddenly and unexpectedly. Folks, we only have one life. We only have one life to get this right. To know that Jesus is indeed Lord of all. That he is indeed King of kings. That he is indeed the one and only master. That he is the one whom we have to give an account of our lives for. Two, I should say. Are you ready? Are you dressed for action? Are you spiritually awake and alert? Are you doing what Jesus has called you to live, to do? Because that's the kind of disciple Jesus is urging us to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, we sit here in Marumba Downs in North Pine Baptist Church. We sit in a seat and we live lives which have got a lot of stuff going on in them right now. And each of us in this room here have got various challenges and, and various stuff that is happening in our lives at the moment, which is really taking up our, our thoughts, our energies and our focus. May we be challenged today to know whether or not the stuff that we are worrying about, the stuff that is taking up our efforts and our time and energies are they of real significance in terms of eternity? But more importantly, are they of significance in terms of... Do they put you as master of our lives or do they put us as master of our lives? That's the question we've all got to ask ourselves today, Lord Jesus, and we pray you'd help us to analyse our lives honestly and openly and where we need to if we if we're not dressed for action if our lamps aren't lit if we're if we're not being faithful right now then help us to repent 
to come and, and fall down before you and, and confess our, our wrong ways and then look to you to help us to get back on the right path so that we are ready again for your second coming. We ask it in your name. Amen.